0: Good morning. Thank you, Stephen. Appreciate so much the heart of our deacon body. And uh, if you would, turn with me to Galatians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 16, going down again through chapter 2 and verse 1. You know, before the Lord uses someone in His work, He equips us. He gives us the equipment, what we need in order to carry out His will. And so I thought it was interesting how four times in scripture he uses that word equip, four times. One is in Ephesians 4.12, he uses spiritual leadership to equip us so that we can be ready for how God wants to use us. Ephesians 4.16, he also prepares us for whatever service he has for each one of us through the membership of a local church. As the body is joined together, It's through those joints that we are further equipped and prepared for what He wants to do through us. Of course, the third use of equip is found in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. There's no no other way to get around it. God uses the Word, the Word of God, the scriptures, the Bible. God will use the scriptures that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped that you would be equipped for what he wants to do through your life. So if you're drifting from the scriptures, I encourage you, I call you back to spending time in the word so that you would be ready for whatever God is going to ask of you. And then Hebrews 13 verses 20 and 21 is the fourth time that the word equip is used. I thought it was interesting how it says that he equips us with everything good That we may do his will everything good that we may do his will you know i think also we have a stewardship of spiritual gifts that god says i'm going to give you certain abilities that come from me and these abilities will help you to be effective and fruitful in my work but our text this morning is galatians 1 15 through chapter 2 and verse 1. the apostle paul is transparently telling us how God not only saved him, but how God also prepared him. How did God equip Paul so that he would be ready for what God would do through his life? What we're gonna read about again this morning was about a 14 year period of time. What has God been doing in your life the last 14 years? I guarantee you, he's preparing you for what he's gonna continue to do. Maybe he's already doing it. Maybe God is in motion in your life. But if not, I don't want you to despair because God has something he's gonna do through your life. And so he's gonna get you ready for that. So while your experience of the Christian life may be somewhat different from the Apostle Paul's, I can guarantee you that God may equip you with some of the same essential tools for spiritual service that I believe he touches on here. You know, if you just spend some time talking to any of the other church members, you'll find out there's a lot of us hurting right now. There are a lot of people who know someone who needs comfort, who needs hope. So what I want to try to do is get you ready, because 2 Corinthians 1 says that with the comfort we've received, we're going to be able to comfort others. So God's going to equip you so that you'll have something that you can say to your neighbors, to your family, to your relatives, to friends and so forth. So as we read through Galatians 1:15 to chapter two, verse one, don't just think about how the Lord was preparing Paul in the past. I want you to think about how God is preparing you in the present. What does he wanna do through your life in 2021? Would you stand in honor of God's word with me? I love to, to honor God's word. It's infallible and it's inerrant. It's a gift from God, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as I read it, really listen and let God just speak because God's gonna speak through his living word. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Here's what it says in Galatians 1, 16. Oh, let's begin with 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Some translations say, reveal his son in me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. And then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. Let's pray together. Lord, I love this church family. I thank you so much for each one. They're all a blessing, a great gift. Lord, I thank you for those who are already very active and serving. Some are pulling the load. Some are doing multiple things. I'm not asking them to agree to do anything else. But I wonder if there's some here and they haven't found that place yet. And I believe you've equipped them. You've given them the uh, training. You've given them some inspiration from your word. You have given them so many gifts and abilities and strengths. And Lord, quite frankly, we need them. We need them. And so God, I pray that you would help them to sense a tug, not a tug from man or manipulation from man, no. I want them to sense your Holy Spirit, calling them to apply what they've been learning. Some of them have been learning a long time, and I believe they have something they can contribute to your work. And so Lord, show them why you created them. Speak to us this day, stir us afresh, that every one of us would be active in your work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Let me quickly review the three tools we saw last week, in case some of you are just joining us uh, this morning. Last week, we saw the importance of realizing that God designs each person for an important role in his kingdom. We saw this whenever Paul says in his testimony, but when he would set me apart before I was born. Did you catch the personal pronouns, he, me, before I was born? Did you catch the fact that he had set him apart for something? Do you know, it wasn't just Paul. There are others that God has set apart for something. Do you know Ephesians 2.10 actually says that we are saved unto good works. And do you know when God has already charted and planned those good works? Before you were born. That's what Paul says in verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, all you got to do is read Jeremiah, same exact thing. But you know what, Psalm 139 says that God has been a part of you, giving you the strengths, the personality, the temperament, all those things that you have in your life, they came as a gift from a God who loves you, who designs you, who says, I've been working before you ever were born, I'm eternal. Whenever we pass away and we're called home to heaven, he'll still be using the legacy that we leave behind. That's why it's very important that you don't miss what are those good works that you prepared before, before I was ever born, like Ephesians 2.10 speaks of. The second tool we looked at last week recalls how God gave, gave uh, him when he was spiritually in a dark place. The apostle Paul was against Christians. He was against the church and God reached into that dark place, just like a pair of pliers. And he pulls him out of that dark place into the light. Do you remember when you were there? That should give us compassion to say, Lord, if you came to me in grace, when I couldn't go to you, he comes to us when we cannot go to him. He comes to us in grace, in unconditional love, in mercy. And he says, I've got a plan for you. Come, come to me, come trust me with your life. Moses had a hard time with that, you know. Whenever God was calling Moses and saying, I've got something I want to do through your life. Remember what Moses said, who am I? Who am I that you would use me to bring the Egyptians, I'd uh, bring the Israelites out of Egypt. But you know what? God was saying, it's not about who you are, Moses. It's about who I am, Moses. You tell them I am that I am, is the one who sent you on this mission. God's doing the same thing. It's not that you or me that we will ever reach this point where we would say, okay, now I feel worthy. Do you feel worthy? I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy to be able to stand up here and share the word of God. But you know what? God in his grace, he's called me just like he's called you. And so to consider our worthiness, we should transfer that to Christ and say, he's the only worthy one. And that's why I'm available to serve because you're so worthy. As a matter of fact, I want you to look at what he says here in verse 15. Paul says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, he pulls me out of the dark place by his grace. He says, I've got something I wanna do through your life. That's something for him to say at this point in his life. But I'll tell you that what is more phenomenal is if you read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, this is when Paul was at the end of his life. God was about to call the apostle Paul home. Paul had been on the trail. He had been in the fields 30 years working hard for the Lord. And you know what he's still saying? Even in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 17, after 30 years of ministry and service, he's still saying, you know what? I'm the foremost, I'm the foremost among sinners. If we ever forget that it was by grace, you know what, we'll become so callous and critical or we'll take it all for granted and just coast. And God's saying, no, I don't want you on the bench. I want you in the game. I've got something I wanna do through your life. But how do we get ready for it? There's a third tool. And I believe that tool is, it requires effort. It requires discipline. It requires you and I meeting with God every day, taking his word, taking a journal and a pen, getting down on our knees and praying in a private place or walking, if that's better for you. But to find a private place, why? That we might grow into Christ likeness. That's what it's really all about. That's his goal is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. I think that's what he's talking about when he says, God was pleased to reveal his son in me. You see, God said, Paul, I want to take you from who you've been in the past, full of anger and all these different things. And he said, I'm gonna change you and make you a man after my heart, a man who will be involved in my work. I'm gonna make you like my son. That's what God's been doing in your life. Have you ever wondered What is he trying to do? Well, Romans 8, 28 and 29, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 tells us what God's trying to do. He's trying to form us into the image of his son. He wants me and you to be like Jesus in the way we talk to others, in our attitudes, in our actions, our conduct. Man, the trip to Arabia referenced in verse 17 demonstrates the reforming that can only take place through the everyday walking with Him. That way, if we're off track, the Lord can reform us, reshape us, recalibrate us, so that we're walking with Him again. And then there's the integrity that we hear in verse 20, when the Apostle Paul says, "'In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie.'" You see, how do we know that we're being transformed into the likeness of Christ? Whenever we begin to be a person known for truth, when people know they can depend on you. That's just one area of Christ-likeness. But I want us now to pick up three more essential tools. Those are the ones we looked at last week. I want us to look at three more this week. So this will be tool number four. I believe that for effective service, we're gonna need help. We're gonna need other people in our lives. I know that some people these days with COVID and everything, they think, well, if I just stay home and watch TV, that'll be good enough but it's not good enough. We need other people in our lives. And so Paul mentions churches in verse 22, and he mentions it plural. And so he got me wondering how many people did God use to help Paul become the man that he became? I know he used Ananias who went to him when he was still blind and prayed over him and the scales fell from Paul's eyes and he was able to tell him what God was gonna do through his life. I know he used Barnabas, who was like a mentor to the Apostle Paul, but I'm sure he used so many others in Damascus and so forth. Do you know that the members of this church, they're somewhat like a socket set. You know, uh, uh, Not long ago, I was changing the spark plugs out on my car and there was one that I couldn't get to. And so I went to the uh, auto parts store and I was talking to them about it and they said, oh, you need a special socket and you need an extension in order to get to that one. You know, there's some areas in your life that whenever you're saying, I wanna grow in Christ, but I just need some help, you're gonna need a church family. You're gonna need other brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll need to be a part of a Sunday school class. You'll need to meet with others in coffee shops or talk to them on the phone or text them when you're feeling down. But you're gonna need other people in your life because God's gonna use them to help get you to where you need to be. You know, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 tells us that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But why? Why? It says we should be thinking. I hope you don't just show up on Sunday. Before Sunday, it says we should be considering how to stimulate one another, how to motivate one another to love and good deeds. All week long, when you go into this next week, you ought to be thinking, who is it? that I could encourage next Sunday? Who is it that I could call and encourage this day or this week? We ought to be considering how to motivate them, how to be involved, how to connect with other people and say, Lord, I want to encourage others. That's exactly what it says. But what does that look like in real time when it's happening? Look with me, if you will, at verses 17 through 19 and uh, verse 21 and so forth. I think one way is to build up others. Build up others is the word edification. A lot of people use the word edification, but all it means is you're strengthening, you're, you're being a part of the development process that God is gonna use you as another member of the body of Christ. And so to build up others locally, why didn't they just say, you know what? They got a church in Jerusalem. Let's all just travel over there. Would that make sense? Wouldn't it be better to decentralize things? Wouldn't it be better, like the Lord laid on the apostle's heart, apostle Paul's heart, wherever he went sharing the gospel, he made disciples, and then he encouraged those disciples to cluster together with other believers. These are called churches. They work together to accomplish great things. And I think that's part of what he's talking about in verse 17, he said, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, Has God called us to go to Houston every Sunday to be a part of a church? Or would God say, I want you to be a part of a church here where I've planted you, bloom where I've planted you, but also build up others lovingly. You know, whenever Paul went to Arabia, did you see what happened afterwards? Where did he go back to? He goes to Arabia, but he goes back to Damascus. You see, that's where he came to know Christ, was in Damascus. But he started sharing Christ and there was such opposition, they had to get him out of there. So he got out of there and he went to go be alone with the Lord out in the wilderness. But when he came back, he had a choice. Where are you gonna go? You gonna go to Jerusalem? You gonna go back home to Tarsus in Cilicia? He said, no, you know what? I'll never forget the kindness of those who, who helped me early on in my life. I'm going back to Damascus. Wouldn't it be neat If people have that sense about Columbus, Columbus was the first place that they discipled me, they trained me, they taught me. So when people have a choice, maybe they would say, I wanna go back to Columbus, Texas, because that's who loved me and prayed for me and got me on the right track. I believe he built others up locally and lovingly and loyally. How long did he stay in Damascus forever? No, he didn't stay there forever. It says in verse 18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. He began to sense God was telling him, there's something else I want you to do. And so he began to say, okay, but for three years, he was loyal. Will you be loyal for the rest of 2021? I'm not asking you to be loyal to me. I'm asking you to be loyal to Christ, to the one who's planted you here in Columbus, in this church, will you disengage? Or will you say, no, I'm going to draw closer. I'm going to try to find out why it is that God wants me here in this church and in this community. I'm asking you to increase the faithfulness quotient in your life. But then also, I think he built others up with a lowly spirit, with a lowly spirit. You know, it does say in verse 18 and 19 that he did go talk with Peter and James, doesn't it? I think he didn't wanna communicate the wrong thing. He didn't wanna come across as being arrogant. And so he did go and meet with those men and let them know they were on the same team serving the Lord together. I wanna give you a fifth tool. So the fourth tool was edification of a local church. The fifth tool is communication of a biblical catalyst. What am I talking about a biblical catalyst? I'm talking about the gospel. A catalyst is what starts something. When you have a catalyst, it's where it all begins. You know, the gospel message is where it begins. That's why we need to mobilize every one of us to be sharing that gospel, communicating that gospel. You know, I would like to compare it to a drill because a drill either puts something in or it takes something out. And so would you say, okay, Lord, I want to present Christ. Look at what he says in verse 16. He was pleased to reveal his son to me or in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. You know, sometimes I think we make the gospel more complicated than it really is. You know what the gospel is? It's the message of Christ. It's that Christ left heaven. He came to this earth. He lived a great life. was perfect. That's why he could die on the cross in substitute for your sins, my sins, the sins of our community, the sins of our country and our world. Anybody. He died on that cross. He was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended back to the father and he's coming back to rescue us. And so I'm thinking there's really not that much that's hard about just saying, Jesus changed my life. Think about how John in John's gospel, there's so many individuals like the woman at the well. There was a man at the pool. There was a man born blind. There were two sisters and a brother. The brother passed away. Jesus raised him from the dead. Do you know what all of those have in common? After Jesus did something for them, they said, I can't be silent. I gotta tell somebody about him. And so what they did was they just simply presented Christ to those that were around them. And it's amazing what God did with them. But don't miss also, Paul included in his testimony, some extraction by Christ. You see, because like I said earlier, whenever Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Paul was in a bad place. Maybe you're in a bad place. Paul was in a dark place. Maybe you're in a dark place, but you know what? His amazing grace came and he said, you know what? I'm gonna take that anger out of you, Paul. You know what? I'm gonna take that pride out of you, Paul. I'm gonna take stubbornness out of you. I'm gonna take selfishness out of you. And I'm gonna fill it with a heart for other people. I'm gonna fill it with a heart for the Father. I'm gonna fill it with joy and peace. And isn't it interesting in verse 24 that once he begins to tell other people about Jesus, it's not too long until we read uh, verse 23. Look at verse 23. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. I want to ask you, are people glorifying God because of you? If they're not glorifying God because of you, you know why that might be? Because you're missing in action. You're not trying to be involved in what God wants to do in Columbus or in or even beyond Columbus. I mean, we've got two mission trips planned for next year to go to Japan, to go to Costa Rica. Will you join us in what God wants to do? Would you say, God, I want you to get glory from my life. Let's close with one more tool. It's a ladder, it's a big tool. I don't think you can get it in a tool belt, but an extension ladder. I got to looking and I didn't realize that You know, I've seen a 12 foot extension ladder. I think I've seen a 24 foot extension ladder, but they go to 32 feet to 40 feet. You know, it kind of reminds me of mentoring. I believe that we should be multiplying constantly through continual coaching. Either we're allowing somebody else to coach us or we're beginning to coach others. Either way, you know, on a physical ladder, you should only have one on that ladder, right? There's, I, I learned that there's 500,000 accidents every year on ladders. I'll never forget, my dad was painting the eaves. And one time he fell backwards and he got his, his uh, ankles caught in the rungs of the ladder. And he said, I was hanging upside down. I said, how did you get up? And he said, I don't know. But he said, God help me, I got back up. But you know, you should only have one on a physical ladder, but on a spiritual ladder, oh no. Jesus had 12 on the ladder with him. You see, an extension ladder goes beyond one segment, doesn't it? That's kind of why I'm saying it's like when you mentor someone, when you coach them, when you disciple them, you're beginning to say, I'm gonna extend and multiply my life. You know, the apostle Paul, I encourage you, write down this verse, Acts 20, verse four and five. Acts 20, verse four and five. Count up how many people the apostle Paul took around with him. He had a group that was with him all the time. I think we should always be discipling or being disciple, discipling or being disciple. because look at chapter two, verse one. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So who's in the lead? Barnabas, I went up there with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So you see Barnabas, was he had been on the trail longer than the Apostle Paul. But then Titus, another man that was discipled by the Apostle Paul, Timothy, but Titus, Timothy, people like that, he was a little bit further down the road than they were. And so I wanted to encourage you to have somebody that's like a Barnabas in your life, you're learning from, but also have somebody in your life that's like a Titus, that you're always encouraging that you're saying, well, I haven't arrived, but I know I can help them because I see them. They're struggling and I've learned some things in my life. I believe I wanna encourage them. I don't wanna criticize them. I want to encourage them. I want to help them. I want to support them. Second Timothy 2.2 two actually talks about that. You know, In closing, I wanna summarize all of this content on equipping with a challenge. It's actually found in that insert uh, the survey that's found inside your bulletin. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. I believe it personalizes this message that we've been looking at. You see, I've been praying, the deacons have been praying, I know others in our church family have been praying that God would call out laborers into the harvest, that God would call out laborers into the harvest for this community. And God has come to you in grace and he saved you, but he also is going to give you grace and use you in service, in ministry. God has given you certain gifts, strengths, abilities, ministry experience perhaps, wisdom. Why did he give that to you? Listen to what it says. As each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see why God blesses us? with the gifts and strengths so that we can help with one another. It's not just for me, it's for other people. And of course, it all ends in his glory. Lord, I believe your word clearly teaches that you gift and equip each one of us for ministry. As a matter of fact, I believe it clearly teaches that as a pastor, my role is to equip the body of Christ for the work of the ministry that they will do. And so each one has something. When you created each one in this room, you had some good works in mind. That blows me away, that before we were ever in our mother's womb, you already knew us, you were already planning out something you wanted to do through us. Many have been doing that for years now. Thank you for their service. Thank you so much for all that they have done and are doing. But others may be sensing the tug of your Holy Spirit, that it's their time. It's their time to say, okay, Lord, I'm willing to serve you wherever you need me. And so guide them whenever they fill out that form, that they would just communicate and let us hear from their hearts. We love you, Lord. I thank you for the privilege of serving you. Bless this time of invitation. Guide each person as we respond to this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.